0: This is Catalog and Cocktails, presented by Data.World. Hello, everyone. Welcome. It's time for Catalog and Cocktails, your honest, no BS, non-salesy conversation about enterprise data management. Catalog and Cocktails is presented by Data.World, the data catalog for leveraging agile data governance to give power to people and data. We're coming to you live from Austin, Texas. I'm Tim Gasper, a longtime data nerd and product guy at Data.World, joined by Juan.
1: Hey everybody, I'm Juan Cicada, Principal Scientist at Data.World, and as always, it's a pleasure to be able to go chat about data, and today we're going to chat about a topic that, it's not the one that we chat a lot about, but it's one that we need to chat more about, and our guest is Andrew I, who is the CEO of Closed Loop. Andrew, how are you doing? Hey Juan, hey Tim, thanks for having me. Doing great. Awesome, awesome. Well, I'm really excited because on our, our our previous conversations, you, I just love your honest no BS takes about on AI, and we're going to get into a lot of a lot of just uh, honest no BSness right now. So, but let's kick it off first. Uh, what are we drinking? What are we toasting for today, Andrew? What kick us off?
2: Well, we're here with you guys in uh, Austin, Texas. So, uh, what else would I be drinking other than uh, a Lone Star? Uh, so. <laughs>
0: Uh, so yeah we're doing it right appreciate you <laughs> representing the national beer of texas yeah
1: which i realize i'm not having any texas beer which i should but i'm having a firestone walker 805 which i don't know what it is but we'll find out in a second <laughs> how about you tim
0: uh, i am drinking a texas beer here with a with a Cellus white uh which is sort of a nice light beer so yeah all right cheers excited to have you on the show all
1: right cheers to go right to cheers for ai all right so Let's dive into this. And I think one of the things that we talked about early on got me really excited. Honest, no BS. Why doesn't any, why no one wants your models, your AI models?
2: (laughs) Yeah, it's funny, Juan, you you and I were chatting about this, but, you know, there's this kind of underlying idea in the field of artificial intelligence um, that he who has the most data wins. And so you see a lot of folks in the industry like, oh, our model is trained on 50 billion people or... 60 million cat videos or, you know, whatever it might be. Um, and the problem with that is sometimes that's really helpful. Um, so for instance, if you're trying to, you know, look at MRI scans, uh, to replace radiologists with robot doctors, um, there's really only two, two kinds of MRI machines There's like two big vendors that do almost all the MRI scans in the world. And so all the images look exactly the same effectively. So getting a big collection of all the images allows you to learn the patterns in those images and everybody in the world is producing the same kind of images from the same kind of machines. So in that case, it's actually really valuable to have all that data, train a model, and then reuse that model everywhere. So sometimes he who has the most data wins. But more often, uh, the case is that Whatever predictive model is created, whatever AI machine learning model is created, presupposes certain inputs. And so if I don't have the exact same MRI image, or if I don't have the exact same data coming into this model that the model expects, then the model has no use to me. And so when you look at most applications of artificial intelligence and machine learning, what you really want to do is take advantage of all the data that you have right? you want to take advantage of data coming from your website. You want to take advantage of, you know, phone call records that you have or whatever it might be for your application. Um, and the truth is your footprint of the data that you have and getting all of the available signa out, signal out of all of the data that you have, I like to say everybody's a snowflake, right? Everyone is unique in their data footprint. And so, if you want to get all of the predictive signal, all of the machine learning AI goodness out of all the data you have, you have to build your own model. And so, you know, we always talk about whenever I see people, oh, you know, our models are trained on X billion people. I'm like, great. None of those people are my people. None of those people are my customers. None of those people are my patients. None of those people are my members. And so, you just learn patterns about a bunch of people using data that I don't have on a bunch of people that I don't see. So, Nobody wants your models. It means custom predictive models trained on my data, my people, my, my interactions. That's really what I need if I want to get all that predictive juice.
1: So, so it, it seems to be that people who are going off and saying, no, oh, we got the ultimate model. That's really BS. I mean, you do have the old, you do have an ultimate model, but it's not the model I need. So I don't care.
2: Yeah, you know, the- that's right. You know, so one problem is like, you're not looking at my data. So your model expects inputs A, B, and C. I'll give you an example from our world, right? So we work in the healthcare field. Um, Some customers have medical claims data. Some customers have electronic medical records. Some have social determinants of health data, right? If I want to get, if I want to build the best predictive model for a given customer, I need to be able to use all those different data sources. If I try to build a model that works for everybody, I've got to go with the lowest common denominator, only the data that everybody has, right? And so what you end up with is if you really want to build the most accurate, most explainable, most useful model, you've got to build custom and you've got to be able to do it uh, cost effectively for each individual customer. But yeah, you know, the, I've got the world's best algorithm and you should fire your data scientist. That's BS, right?
0: Mm. This is interesting. So, so you're kind of, so what do you recommend to organizations out there as they're trying to like come up with an AI strategy and think about like, you know, how do I know if I can, you know, get a model off the shelf or use like an as a service type solution that kind of like it has an API and you know, I just plug in one end and at the other end comes what I want versus you need to build your own and sort of the spectrum in between.
2: Yeah. So, you know, I guess another aspect of this, like, I've got the perfect model for you. Really important question to ask is exactly what is this model predicting, right?
1: Uh, so, so it's not again, just the data, what it's trained on, but what is it trained to go do?
2: Exactly. And, you know, it's funny because sometimes what sounds like the same use case or the same prediction is actually very nuanced. So I'll give you another example. You know, we work only in the healthcare space. So I'll use an example from healthcare. Um, folks are really interested in predicting unplanned hospitalizations. Who's gonna end up so sick that they get uh, admitted to the hospital? Uh, You know, they show up at the hospital and they end up getting admitted. And what they'll do with that prediction is try to drive a preventative program that keeps people from getting so sick that they end up admitted to the hospital, right? That's called, in many cases, called chronic care management. But the problem is the strategies employed in those chronic care management programs are different from customer to customer. As an example, some customers say, I wanna predict unplanned hospitalizations, but what they really mean is, I wanna predict anybody who's gonna show up at the ER, right? whether they get admitted or they don't. And other customers say, no, for us, if you show up at the ER and you're not admitted, that's one flavor of problem. And we wanna make sure we get you connected to a primary care physician. But if you're sick enough to get admitted, that's a different kind of problem. We wanna be preventative before you get there. Now. If you didn't get into the nuance of exactly what is this model predicting, you might grab something off the shelf and use it for a purpose that wasn't intended, right? And so you end up being highly accurate at predicting the wrong thing, right? So the first question to ask is, what is it that this model that you're trying to sell me predicts? And is it exactly tied to my strategy? Because I've got to know, right? I'm trying to predict the future so that I can change it. Right, I want to know what's going to happen before it happens, so that I can intervene and do something different before that thing happens. So I've got to be sure that we're aligned on exactly what you're predicting, and does it match what I'm trying
1: to do to change it? Does that make sense? Completely, and I think this aligns the the, the a theme that we always have here on the data first and a shift to this knowledge first world. Right. So for me, the data first world is yeah, what you just said. Give me more data. Give me more data. I need more data. Go solve the problem. And and you're saying accurately is like. No, not having more data doesn't mean that you have a better model, right? But and, and the knowledge first, what we call it, is a people first, context first, relationships first. And what you're describing right now is saying, wait, I need to understand, understand meaning, right? What are you trying to go do? And these nuances make the big freaking difference. Even I mean, even yeah. the topic of oh, it's a, a admitting to a hospital, whatever. We need to get into the details of that because then. You, at a high level, we may be on the same page, but when we get into the details, we're completely off. And this is yeah. understanding what is the question you're trying to understand. Who cares about this? What is the context? And I think this is that knowledge first kind of mindset we need to go have. Mm-hmm. All right. I love this. We're all on the same page around these things. Now, the question is, do we have to go build everything then? I mean, then you're, I mean, you're painting a picture that basically everybody is kind of selling you BS that you have to go build it on your own is, but I mean, we don't have, yeah, to. So there, so what, what is the balance here?
2: Yeah. So there's this kind of uh, question of build versus buy in the field of AI and, and machine learning. Right. And so there are, there are vendors out there that are everybody, I mean, just go to any trade show in any industry, And tell me you know it's like ai bingo right walk around and see how many times you see the terms ai machine learning predictive analytics on everybody's booth or everybody's kind of you know sales slicks um but you know so should you buy something that is a pre-trained model um, or should you build something that's custom right now certainly i'm advocating for pre-trained models are often trained on people that aren't yours using data you don't have um and so I tend to think pre-trained models often not the way to go unless your data inputs look exactly like the data inputs for those models. And and as I said, radiology is a good example where like, I don't think anybody should be going out and trying to build their own custom uh, cancer detection image analysis models, right? That's something I wouldn't advise, but when you're talking about.
1: So that is in that particular use case, like that is a solved problem. Would you say that there's enough pre-trained models for these things that that you, yeah, there's people there who, who specialize PSPers, who buy that off the shelf.
2: Yeah, so there's, there's companies that specialize. Again, the way to think about this is like, what exactly are you predicting? And is that exactly what I'm trying to predict, right? And the second question is, what data does your model expect? And is that exactly and only the same data that I have? So when we're talking about, I'm going to read radiology reports and I'm going to spot cancer, there are companies that just do that. And the radiology reports that are coming in look the same every time. Great place to buy off-the-shelf AI. And you're probably not just getting AI. You're probably getting workflow tools and a full system built around a single use case, right? Now, let's kind of talk about when I want to predict something like churn or when I want to predict something that uses multimodal data. So I don't just have one type of data. I've got medical claims, EMR, you know, admission, discharge, and transfer feeds. These are all things specific to healthcare, but you get the idea. If I've got six or seven different types of data, and I look to those people who are trying to sell me pre-trained models, and I say, can you use this data and this data and this data that I have? And they say, no, my model doesn't take that kind of data. Might be a good time to try and build custom, right? Now, if I'm going to build custom, what's my starting point? Do I start with like, Hiring a PhD data scientist and, you know, hoping that he doesn't quit or she doesn't quit and go to Facebook. Uh, That's tough, but maybe I want to hire some people. And then what tools do I give them? Do I just give them PyTorch and, you know, some Jupyter notebooks and a bunch of open source stuff and say, have at it? Turns out the problem's a lot bigger than a handful of people with PhDs can build, right? And so sometimes I use this analogy you know, whenever there's a, a vacuum in the field of technology, right, whenever there aren't good commercial tools available, we hire technologists, programmers to build stuff for us. So think back to the beginning of the web, right? When when the web started, we, every company, hired a bunch of HTML programmers and JavaScript programmers, and we all built our websites from scratch, right? And they were paying to maintain, and we built our own internal apps, and, you know, and then fast forward a few years later, and, and this company called Automatic comes out with this product called WordPress. And it turns out that like, maybe I shouldn't be like hacking HTML and JavaScript all the time because that's a solved problem. And I can buy a content management system. And now I'm just updating text and pictures, right? And so before there's WordPress, you have to build it yourself. But once there's WordPress, you'd be a fool to try and compete with the R&;D budget of a company that has a full commercial tool in the same way. now today in artificial intelligence machine learning, if you're going to build, you want to be thinking about what are the tools that I should use, and we here close, we firmly believe that vertical AI is really the key to this because you've got to understand the data and the problems of the particular vertical. We're in healthcare, I, you know. if you want want to build predictive models in oil and gas or FinTech or, you know, I am not the solution for you. But if you want to build predictive models in healthcare, we've got not only that end-to-end machine learning platform that helps you build, deploy, you know, predictive models, but we come to the table already knowing the problems you're interested in, which means we have model templates. We already know how to handle your data. And so, you know, we're firm believers. We, We built our company on, this idea of applying vertical AI um, where you've got this combination of domain expertise, data expertise, in a particular vertical uh, combined with tools. And so for us, you know, it's, it's a little bit of both. Should you build or should you buy? Uh, For us, we say, look, you can build with us or you can build on top of us, right? If you've got internal data scientists, we'll help them go faster. If you don't, then you know, uh, we can provide not only a platform, but the expert, the data science expertise to help you run it. So, So
0: I think, uh, you know, Juan and I, we've talked quite a bit in general, not on the show, but like more broadly about like the, the, what you're saying, like the value of verticalized AI and understanding the data sources, understanding the use cases, understanding the industry, and that, that can really influence sort of your approach to AI and also the tooling that you use. One of the things that I have a little trouble reconciling, and it might just be because, you know, I'm not super steeped in the AI, AI market as I used to be a few years ago, is that there is quite a bit of like horizontal tooling and infrastructure around AI, right? You've got like AWS and Google and everybody's got their like SageMaker and things like that. And you, totally. got, you know, like the data science platforms, right? Like the data coups and the data robots and things like that, like, like, how do you kind of think about or reconcile more of these like horizontal data science and AI oriented solutions versus more verticalized solutions? Like, what what what's the right tool for the job when it comes? Yeah, to Yeah,
1: actually, mm-hmm. help us navigate that tool space, right? I mean, when uh, when you go through the expo halls of these places, right, you're gonna see all these types of tools without name. We have, without having to name vendors, like, what are the different categories that you're seeing around that? So we can our listeners can you can help navigate them. Yeah,
2: so I'll speak to kind of our industry, but I think it's probably representative of, of other industries where there are vertical solutions, there are horizontal solutions. So the way we think about this is in the healthcare space, there's two types of vendors, right, that are in this AI and machine learning um, space. There are horizontal vendors who sell pre-trained models and basically their value prop is, you don't need data scientists internal to your company. You should fire them all because I own all the intellectual property and I've got all the world's best models. The challenge that they have is how do I adapt those models to each customer's unique data, right? And, Oh, what if I don't have the model that that customer wants? Or what if the endpoint that I predicted is actually slightly different than the thing that they wanted, right? And so you get this maintenance problem. More importantly, uh, if you're trying to sell that solution, and there's even one data scientist there, you're effectively saying you should fire that person, and and hire my firm instead. Um, turns out that's a really bad sales motion. So, uh, vertical focus. Uh, what we see in the healthcare space is most of those folks are trying to sell you the world's best algorithm. We don't sell algorithms. We sell a machine that helps you build algorithms, right? And so. There's those vendors that are, hor- are vertically oriented. And then you've got the horizontal folks, the data robots, the data IQs, et cetera. Those are big companies that are gonna do very well in filling in the gaps where there isn't a vertical solution. And I'll give you a, another tangible example. You know, um, in the healthcare space, uh, why didn't Oracle or Salesforce or NetSuite or some other horizontally oriented database driven application why didn't they win the electronic medical records business? Like, why isn't Oracle? You know now Oracle's bought one of the biggest vendors in the, in the EMR space and Cerner. But why? Why didn't Oracle win against Cerner in the beginning? Healthcare has a particular record of buying healthcare-specific solutions because it's highly regulated, because there's so much domain expertise required, and there are other industries like that. So. I think, you know, when we think about us versus the, the horizontally oriented vendors, uh, I'm going to lose in an oil and gas pitch to Data Robot every time. And I'm going to win every time in a healthcare pitch against Data Robot, Because you know, the horizontal vendors show up and say, what's ICD-10, right? Which is the coding standard for all medical cl- right? When you don't have that level of domain knowledge, you can't even get started. And you end up uh, paying to educate your vendor, right? You've got to teach them your language before you can even get started. And so we think, particularly in verticals that are large enough, vertical AI wins. There's a great article on this from way back in 2017, maybe. Um, there's an article from uh, Jerry Chen at uh, Gray, uh, Gray, Gray Lock Ventures called The New Moats. And I always point people to this. And and Jerry basically talked about AI back in 2017 as this new emerging category of software. He calls it a system of intelligence. And he specifically calls out vertical AI where there's deep expertise in the data and problems, the the basically domain expertise of a given vertical. That was his prophecy as to kind of what was going to win. And and we've been kind of pushing that
1: article for for, five years now. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Wait, so so, but even in the vertical space, there's kind of there's two parts, right? There's the vertical that is selling the per, the perfect AI model does everything, and that's the one that you're calling BS on. But there's also the vertical that says you we give you the 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 the, the tools, the engine, right, the machine, such so, that so you can go train your model, giving your data, but with all the vertical expertise. That's the one that is the valuable. That's if I understood correctly. Well, that's our that's our position. That's, that's our, position. That's, that's no, that's that's our approach,
2: right? So- I do- Clearly we're biased, right? But yes, our approach is rather than telling you I'm gonna give you uh, a specific pre-trained model, right? I'm not gonna sell you the idea that I've got an algorithm that's perfect for you. Rather, I'm gonna build a custom predictive model for you. But what differentiates us is I then hand you the keys whenever you're ready. And I say, listen, if you want to iterate on this model, you wanna build the next model yourself, I'm gonna give you the building blocks and the tools to build those models yourself. Um, For folks who are in the AI space, you'll be familiar with this idea of features, right? So features are just, you go from raw data to these derivative variables that you believe are going to be predictive of a given outcome. Um, 80% of the time data scientists spend is on building features, right? It's going from raw data to these variables they think will be predictive. And that ends up being a lot of labor, it also ends up that everybody's reinventing the same wheel within a given industry. So I'll give you a tangible example from the healthcare space. Um, If you ever look at medical claims data, which is my favorite thing to do, but I'm guessing you guys don't do all the time, uh, (laughs) you'll see things like this. You'll see uh, Andrew got admitted to the hospital yesterday. Then he he was admitted on Monday. He was discharged on Tuesday. He got admitted again later on Tuesday. Then he was discharged again three days later and got admitted again. And you're thinking, gosh, how is Andrew getting admitted to the hospital discharged and showing right back up on the same day? Like, is this the klutziest guy in the world? And the answer is that's actually all one admission. It's not a discharge. It's actually a transfer, but it shows up in the data looking like a discharge. Now, if you're, a brilliant data scientist, but you don't come from a healthcare background, you're not going to know that. That's the knowledge. And you right? That's the knowledge. That's exactly it. And not only are you not going to know it, you're going to spend about a week writing the SQL code to merge those things. Now, if you've got a great vertically oriented partner, right? and I, I don't mean this to be a sales pitch, but this is the, where we add value is not only are we giving you, you know, now there's a, a field called enterprise feature stores, right? Where you can define variables, collaborate on variables. You know, this is becoming a part of the AI infrastructure. Uh, we provide an enterprise feature store to our customers, but we fill it up with a bunch of pre-computed features. So when I tell you, here's the number of prior admissions, I've already built in the logic about this, this problem of discharge and readmission, which is actually all one admission. Yeah. And that is the, the productization of all that domain expertise.
1: Now, th- this is exactly the point of knowledge, right? Where, where you have that expertise, and not, and and then you have like the common sense knowledge, like. Oh, but but knowledge is very specific to the industry, uh, so you're making this great uh, point here, and how we need to have the vertical, the vertical is aligned with the knowledge here. Yeah, and I mean, start-
2: here, here's another example for you, on you know, just because this is another favorite one. Um, so there's a concept in AI and machine learning called feature drift, right? Which is mm-hmm. Hey, I trained a model six months ago and it had, you know, such and such ROC AUC, right? is 0.87 ROC AUC. It's super accurate, great. And then all of a sudden I start to notice that my model is less accurate than it used to be, right? Uh, And what ends up happening is that the data that you had originally and you trained your model on, you start to see new patterns in the data that you're receiving that make it, uh, different from what you saw in the patterns previously. Here's a great example from healthcare. Um, in healthcare, you have drug codes and you might build a feature that says, is Andrew taking a statin? And so you'll have, uh, you'll have scores for all of your patients saying, are they on a statin, yes or no? And you'll use different ICD-10, or excuse me, different drug codes um, to figure out whether or not they're on statins. The problem is the definition of statins changes. Mm. New drugs are released to the market all the time. When a new statin hits the market, there's a new drug code. Your data that you trained on didn't have that drug code because it never existed. How are you going to handle the maintenance of recognizing when those new drugs hit the market? And how are you going to know when to retrain your model such that you're taking advantage of all those new drugs that are being prescribed correctly, right? So that's just another... And again, if you're not worried about drug codes, if you're in FinTech, Mm -hmm. right? But if you're in healthcare, this is a problem everybody's got. Again, it's just another illustration of why vertical AI is so important.
0: Oh, this, this is fascinating. And, you know, one extension of this, like, line of thinking around vertical AI that I have for you, I'm curious, is, like, healthcare, obviously, um, you know, both before this and through this conversation, it feels like it is a very relevant place for vertical AI. You know, where are some places, you know, other industries, other use cases where you see, like, sort of vertical AI being really impactful versus, you know, more interestingly, perhaps, like, are there certain verticals or use cases where actually vertical AI doesn't quite make sense, like, it doesn't have a good fit for some reason? Yeah, I,
2: I, I wonder about this. Obviously, we spend more time thinking about our swim lane, but I'll right. tell you kind of some other examples that we've seen. So, you know, I think retail is another area where vertical AI makes a ton of sense, right? So if you think about the types of data you're going to see, you're going to see purchase data, you're going to see website traffic, you're going to see marketing data. And to the extent that that data looks pretty much the same, um, that might be a good application of vertical AI, right? Um, the challenge is... In healthcare, you've got this underlying kind of common standard. People think healthcare data is messy, but the truth is there are coding standards, ICD-10, you know, drug codes, uh, lab codes that, are, that standardize the data somewhat in our industry, make it really particularly useful for vertical AI. Some areas where I think vertical AI doesn't apply, you know, the, the, the counter example I always use is hedge funds, right? If I'm a hedge fund and I'm trying to predict things, I'm going to do some crazy stuff. I'm going to go grab, I mean, there's classic examples of this where you know hedge funds were using uh, aerial photography of parking lots and how crowded the parking lots were to predict retail sales for Walmart for Christmas, right? I don't think that's a standardized data stream that every fintech company is going to be thinking about. And so the more you're in that long tail of creativity and your problem is unique to you, that's where those Horizontal tools make a ton of sense.
1: Y'all, hey, you, you said something super interesting, which is like if you're doing this crazy things and being very creative, that is where the the vertical A doesn't come in. And this is actually a bit ironic is that – or maybe not. I mean you're saying, hey, I want AI to be really smart and tell me things. But hey, if your area you need to be very creative, then that AI is not going to go work. You probably need to, like that vertical, very specific AI. You so it's kind of interesting to now, say. I think you know the point is, and I want to be
2: clear here: what I'm not saying is that our customers that are building on top of our platform and you know a vertical specific solution aren't creative. The point is, are you trying to reinvent the wheel or not? Right? If every other company like you has got to figure out how to handle drug codes and updates the drug codes all the time, maybe don't spend your time building that yourself. If you have a vertically sent, uh, if you can buy it off the shelf from a partner. So I'm spreading the cost of solving that problem over hundreds of customers where you're trying to compete with my R&D budget with only your one internal customer. So what I would say is it's it's not about creative or not. It's about is the problem you're trying to solve, reinventing the wheel of everybody else in your industry? If it is, then look around and see if there isn't some vertical solution that maybe can help you get there faster, right? And focus your creativity on the next level problem, building with those kind of building blocks to solve more problems, right? here's another analogy for you. Um, Every company in the world needs a CRM, right? Anybody who sells anything, needs Salesforce or something like it, right? Should I go build a CRM myself?
1: No. Well you start with this you do technically start with a spreadsheet if you're really small. That's yeah, right, saying. right. If you're small. <laughs> but the point is, yeah, I shouldn't go compete with Salesforce.
2: My sales process is nuanced. It's different. It's not the same as everybody else. I'm gonna need to grab Salesforce, but I should focus my energy on customizing Salesforce to fit my business process. I'm going to need a RevOps person internally. I'm gonna need somebody who knows how to configure and run Salesforce. But that doesn't mean I should try to go build Salesforce myself, right? Same thing here. If, you, if you've got internal resources, get them these higher level tools so that they don't have to focus on the minutia of calculating admissions correctly. They can start with that problem solved and implement faster. Right, that's
0: right. what it's all, it's all about. ROI, right? No, that, that that makes a ton of sense. And you know, one, as you've been talking through a few of these examples, one other thing that strikes me, and I kind of look in your direction, Juan, because I'm, I'm curious if you had this observation as you went through the as you went through these examples as well, that like in these examples, there's a little bit of a semantic contract that exists. Right, like when you're looking at retail, like there's this concept of a of a click and a customer and a purchase, right? In uh, in healthcare, you've got these codes, right? Um, when you're looking at parking lots and cars, right? There's no like kind of semantic contract, you know, you know, in general, let alone in that industry, sort of around like yeah. you know, um, you know, a, a ratio of you know uh, of of parking lot density or something. Yeah, right, like that, right. right? Um, so like the more the semantics are very. Uh, Unlike uh, unusual or not well understood or not well sort of communicated across the industry, probably makes it harder for verticalized AI to. Kind and of and I would right. say that well, I think, you know, yeah. I wanna, even,
1: even between those two levels that like you said, like oh, and in retail we have kind of these standards of expecting there's a click and all that stuff. That's that's that that's like the first part you need to go have like some, have an agreement within the industry that oh we talk about these concepts, mm-hmm. but then there's taking it to the next level is like is there an agreement kind of very specific, what you have in healthcare with like codes. And we don't have that in, I mean, healthcare is great that has that. I, and I think other industries try to go standardize these things. Uh, I see where so you're try, going. St- they try to go standardize these models and yeah. these models, but healthcare is the one that's really taking it to the next level. What, Because guess why? Regulatory purposes. So there's a stronger coaching. contract in so healthcare.
0: A- whereas actually like marketing and yeah. retail might actually be a weaker contract. Like what is a click? Like we actually might disagree on what that is. Oh means, yeah. What,
1: what is a real? I, think, I mean, part of this contract. Part of this just
2: becomes like philosophy, but I think this is really <laughs> tangible. Like if I'm if I'm sitting there trying to figure out what type of tools should I use, and and you know should I build or buy, and if I'm going to buy, excuse me, if I'm going to build, what tools should I start with? It's this simple. Um, if uh, if you're, we already talked about how to decide if you build or buy, if you build or if you buy pre-trained models or not. But let's say you're going to build, how do you decide what tools to start with? I would say look for vertical tools first. If you're in any industry and any vertical AI vendor exists, that's the place to start because they're going to know more about your problems, your data, et cetera. But the other question you asked me was where will horizontal AI win? And the answer is wherever there isn't vertical AI, right? And there's lots of places where there isn't vertical AI because the market isn't big enough, right? Like maybe somebody wants to apply AI to, selling deer feeders, I don't know, right? But like, I'm guessing that that market isn't big enough to warrant a vertical AI specific player who only focuses on deer feeders. Right. And yeah. so that long tail of all these other problems, look, I think DataRobot, IQ, these are awesome, huge, gonna be big companies. They're just not gonna win in healthcare, right? And so I think the answer is, if you're trying to make this decision on who to look at, look for vertical vendors, if they exist, you should build on top of those. If our customers decide, if I have one customer who decides that parking lot data is really important for their problem, they can add that to what we already give them, but they don't have to reinvent everything we built. Yeah,
1: right? you know, this is this is very tangible take uh, kind of advice, and I really appreciate that. I would I want a some clarification here is that go look at the vertical, but be careful and be honest and no BS about the Wait, it's not everything. Don't take it all for granted to go drink that Kool-Aid, right? You can be very critical right. about that and understand those nuances. So I think that's a really important one. Now, another thing we wanted to go talk about because time flies here. And this is this is an awesome conversation. Is we brought we talked about this before? Was you were there's all these really important problems on in healthcare we're trying to go deal with, right? And there's all these really smart people working on it, but a lot of the AI research and application today is not in this area of healthcare stuff that it can really impact yeah. and change the world. I mean, it, it's a, I mean, honest, no BS here. It's like, yeah, it's kind of freaking annoying that every, we have all these great minds going, doing all this AI stuff so we can go click something on freaking Instagram or, or whatever. Right. Yeah. I mean, what's your take on this? I mean, that's, that's a frustration I have. What, what, what do you feel? Yeah. Well, you, you and I, you and I have talked about this before and you
2: know, I, uh, it was a personal point of passion for me. It's, uh, it's so clear, right? AI is the transformative technology of our time, right? When I back up five years ago and you know we were starting closed loop, I always look at like, whenever I'm starting a company, I'm looking for what are the major technology trends that are going on and what's that wave that I can ride? And five years ago, there were three trends that looked promising. Cryptocurrency uh, and kind of blockchain. You had um augmented reality and computer vision, and you had artificial intelligence and machine learning. Uh, Of those three, you tell me which one is impacting most people's daily lives now, five years later. AI has been that breakout technology of the last five years and even longer, but the number one place that you see it is in ad targeting. The number one place you see it is the ads are so good on your Amazon Alexa sitting in your kitchen or on your phone when you're scrolling through Facebook or wherever you are, the ads are so good that you believe Facebook must be spying on you. They must be listening to my phone because I just said something five minutes ago and here's the ad. That's how good the technology is that we believe that they must be cheating and lying and, and have, be listening into us all the time because the ads are so good. So that's how powerful this technology is. But yeah, I'm pissed. Like no no BS, right? Like I'm mad. And we all should be. That's all that our generation decided to use this technology for was to give us better targeted ads.
0: Yeah. Like that, what's that, the opportunity,
2: right? Like, how about, like, how we, about are, our doctor ads? should be
0: as good as Facebook is, right?
2: How about that, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> do you want and and you know, we taught this is why people get excited to come work here, right? Mm-hmm. And to work in the healthcare industry as a whole. You know, my my time in the healthcare industry has been amazing because people care. Like, if you want to be mission-driven, this is the industry to be in. I mean, just look at the pandemic and like what people went through to try and help help one another, right? So you've got this amazing industry where people are really trying to, and what are they trying to help? They're trying to help reduce human suffering. They're trying to help figure out, like in in the Facebook world, in the marketing world, there's only one question that Facebook is interested in. What will you click on? The whole social network is just a way to collect information to target ads. And the only question Facebook really cares about, and I'm not picking on just Facebook, but the advertising industry only cares about one question. It's attention. It's clicks, right? So that's, the, that's their predictive model. What will you click on? In healthcare, there are two fundamental questions. What's wrong with me? When you go to your doctor, you only want to know two things. What's wrong with me and how can you make me better? That's diagnosis and treatment. Those are the two underlying questions in healthcare, right? Which would you rather work on? Clicks or saving lives and preventing suffering with artificial intelligence, right? So I think we can do better as a generation.
1: This is a very powerful statement you just said. Do you want to work on what will you click on, or do you want to work on what's wrong with me and how can you make me feel better? That's an extremely powerful statement. And I hope everybody listening here is actually kind of digging a little bit inside their soul and figuring it out, like, ask yourself it's, that question, right?
2: It's yeah. addictive, man. Once you get into this field, you know, my, my background wasn't always in healthcare, but, um, you know, I had a personal experience with a, a child who went through some challenges. And, uh, you, you know, when you go through that diagnostic odyssey, you know, as a parent and you realize, nobody's using my data here, right? Like, oh my gosh, like this technology is possible and nobody's using it. Uh, But the good news is like, you tell me, you know how good this data is, you know how good these technologies are. Fast forward into the future, whether it's five years from now, 10 years from now, pick your time horizon. Will you go to a doctor who doesn't use this technology to better diagnose and treat you? I think we're all going to choose our doctors, not just our doctors, we're going to choose our you know our hospitals we're going to choose because this technology it's not a question of if it's only a question of when facebook level intelligence is coming to healthcare. the only question is when right and i think that consumers are going to drive that because they're going to demand that they go to places where it's not ai versus their doctor it's their ai super powered doctor who helps make better decisions better recommendations you know, based on this tech, this these this
1: field of technology. Before we we start wrapping up and go to our lightning round, what? Is, how do we get people to start thinking more about this? I mean, this is a very powerful message. Like, I mean, is this more education we have to do? Kind of, kind of grassroots from schools, or, or I mean campaign. I don't know. What, what, are, what are your thoughts? Like, how do we get people more into the healthcare field or, or let's say outside of the click field to go play to somewhere else where they can really impact lives?
2: Yeah. You know, I I'm, I'm so encouraged because there's, there's a whole generation of people who are coming out of, of college, you know, even high school, just so much more socially aware and with a, a genuine passion for making a difference. Right. And so I think, um, that's the good news, like that spirit of, I wanna wanna do something that matters is is already there. I think, you know, we need more folks going into STEM programs. We need to, you know, there's a big topic of kind of bias and fairness around AI, right? And one of the things we know is if you wanna have uh, unbiased, fair predictions, you need a diversity of talent, right? So here, you know, at closed loop, like, diversity and, and diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, these are not topics that are just like nice to have. These are like existential threats. If I don't build a diverse team, I'm gonna fall into the trap of people you know, that have come before us and build models that are inherently biased. And so to your question, what do we need more of? We need more people taking an interest in this. We need more education uh, for people coming from diverse backgrounds um, to, to build up the talent pool right? With a, with a more diverse uh, talent pool. Uh,
0: Great, great answer.
1: Now this is very powerful. A lot of work uh, to do. And I love how we ended up, how we ended up with this really powerful message, Mm -hmm. but um, time flies, I love how we've gone through so much stuff, but it's time to go for our lightning round, uh, which is, Hey, presented by data.world and the data catalog for your successful cloud migration. And I'm going to kick it off first. So first question, We didn't talk about this. This is a a topic very passionate to me is, is graph technology making a big impact in AI and vertical AI? Yeah, super interesting. We get this question from
2: folks who are a little further along. I think the answer is going to be yes. I think right now, you know, is that the first thing you need to do if you're in healthcare, you know, in our vertical? Not, maybe not, you know, if, if, it, if you're in marketing, I bet this is way more important because the interrelationships and you know how who am I looking to, to target uh, I could see it being way more applicable but I think graph technology we're super bullish on in general.
0: That makes sense. Um, second question um, as vertical AI continues to grow and gain traction, um, are we gonna see the number of ml and AI engineers in the industry actually start to shrink?
2: So I think the answer is no. I think the, the answer is how many of them should you need? So go back to the Salesforce analogy. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no fewer people building, building database-driven applications, workflow tools than there were before. But you don't need to employ as many of them in your company because you're not trying to reinvent Salesforce. So I think the number of ML engineers uh, is likely to continue to grow how many you need in your organization should not go up at the same rate, right? You should have fewer people who are able to leverage higher level tools. Uh, Again, like the website analogy, right? I don't need an army of 50 web engineers if I'm, if my starting point is, uh, is uh, WordPress, right? Right. Hmm.
1: All right. Next lightning lightning round question. (laughs) How much of this problem is I need AI versus I actually have a data integration problem. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because sometimes we get
2: this from customers like, oh gosh, you know, uh, my data is so messy or I need to get everything cleaned up and I can't even think about ML or AI until I do X. And, you know, my response is always, well, what's in your data warehouse already, right? One of the great things about artificial intelligence and machine learning is it can get over the problems of messy data. So as an example from our field, if I have someone who's not coded as diabetic, but I see a prescription for insulin, ML and AI figure out that that person probably actually has diabetes. They look a lot like the person who's coded as diabetic. And so even if your data is messy, um, you might be ready for AI and machine learning depending on the problem. And I always say like, don't let perfection be the enemy of the good, right? Can you Can you actually get benefit out of machine learning and artificial intelligence right now, in spite of the fact that your data is incomplete or messy? The answer isn't always yes, but you shouldn't assume that you've got to have perfect data. This argument of garbage in, garbage out is overstated, right? The idea that you can't start until your data is cleaned up and perfect, your data will never be cleaned up and perfect. It's probably good enough to start with, right? The example I just gave. Um, But you should be thinking about that, that like, If you're not, if you don't have an AI or ML strategy now, you are behind, this is a board level conversation. CEOs, CXOs are asking what's our AI strategy because they they learned this during the internet boom. People who were late to the internet, they don't wanna be late to AI, right? Mm -hmm.
0: Well, that's interesting. I feel like there's a whole topic that I wish we had time to explore, but we don't right now. Yeah. Around like, because everybody always draws the diagram, right? And at the end of the maturity is like AI. Like we're going to achieve yeah, the pinnacle, right. and it's like, wait a second, maybe AI is part of the journey.
1: And oh, I and like I you said, the right. garbage in, garbage out is a bit overinflated. Like it's probably so. That's interesting. This is a good topic for. Yeah, yeah we'll have to all say right. that. Right there, so La- last question. Right.
0: Fast forward ten years from now. You actually kind of alluded to this earlier in the show, right? Ten years from now will AI actually be the primary evaluator when I go to the doctor or are we still too far away from that?
2: I don't think for general diagnostics that you're going to walk in and you, there is no replacing your doctor, your physician for diagnosis. Uh, we should be able to supercharge your doctor with tools that say, did you think about this? Right. And so The physical interaction, like hearing your demeanor, hearing your breathing, those things will never be replaced. Um, And just being able to have a conversation and a relationship with you. So you'll tell me the information that I need to kind of make a proper decision, that never goes away. But hey, I've been able to look, what AI is good at is I've looked at 10 years worth of medical records from before I ever talked to you. Oh, and by the way, Hopefully, we get to the point where I'm not just looking at your medical records, I'm looking at your family's medical history, right? A physician doesn't have time in 15 minutes to digest all of that information. And so, hopefully, what we do is AI's job is to look at all that information and surface a couple of ideas that prompt the physician to have a more informed conversation for you. That's where I think we get in 10 years.
1: This is reminds me of a friend of mine, uh, call out for, his name is Bart Van Leuven. on Twitter. He's called semantic fire and he's a fireman in the in Amsterdam. And I was talking about this one day with him. He's like, I'm a fireman. I'm a professional. Like I understand. there's a building in fire. We'll sit in front of it. I'll figure out what the, my strategies. I don't want an AI. Tell me what to go do. What I do want is that AI on the, on the shoulder. That's just tapping me saying, FYI this, FYI that, FYI and I'm like, thank you, got it. I'm um, that's input 100%. and I now make my decision because I'm the professional here who's going to go in to that into into that into that building that's on fire. I'm the one who's going to do that surgery. So 100 percent. Assisted I, intelligence, augmented intelligence. Let's swap
2: mean. out the A for whatever you want. All right. Uh, okay. Yeah.
1: This I has been it. a so awesome conversation. Uh, we've gone through so many parts, Tim. TTT, Tim, takes us away with takeaways. You go
0: first. Oh, my gosh. So the title of this whole thing was No One Wants Your Model. And we started off with that as a the no BS question. Uh, and you really helped kind of bring light to why some of the um, – there's a, an overstated perspective on sort of like, oh, a pre-trained model that you're just going to plug and run with for, for a large number of use cases, right? Um, there's this idea that, you know, those who have the most data win. I ran, my, you, you know, I ran my model on 50 million cat videos, and therefore it's the best damn cat video model. Uh, uh, Ever. Well, if your data is super uniform, uh, and you know you can train your own mo- or you can use your model against exactly the same data, then maybe actually that does work well, right? And there are certain use cases where that can make sense in vertical situations or non-vertical situations. However, most of the time the data isn't consistent and the model is trained on data that's different than your own data um, and the knowledge or the use cases are different uh, and we really need to make sure that we uh, we all line it up, right? And, uh, and and you may need to build your own model, right? Um, so everyone you said is kind of a snowflake and uh, you really need to have the right Right model for the job, uh, and that vertical AI solutions, particularly ones that are are not just leveraging sort of pre-trained models, but are actually helping you develop models, uh, can really make a big difference, right? Uh, Exactly what is this model predicting? What is it trained to do? All that nuance. It's really important to know that about that model so you can make a good decision on whether or not like something off the shelf, a pre-trained model is going to help you, um, or um, should you really be kind of developing your own, which in many use cases is actually the better approach. Um, And you mentioned, uh, do you have to build or buy AI? Um, You kind of said, you know, sometimes it feels like we're playing AI bingo when you're at a trade show. You look around at all the different trade show booths and things like that. Um, It can be confusing, difficult to navigate. Well, pre-trained models um, are not always the way to go. Um, Pre-trained models were built by people that aren't yours, data that you don't have. Um, So be smart about the use cases. And in many cases, building your own model can make a lot of sense, especially in the industry of healthcare. What about you, Juan?
1: Yeah, so... talking about tool landscapes i love how we do the vertical and the horizontal so the vertical ones all right is whether people are pitching you like you don't need a data scientist right i got all the best models it's like yeah Be careful with that stuff because you're going to have a lot of the issues like, can you put your own data into that? How do you maintain that stuff? What you really need to think about from the vertical perspective is like, not just am I selling you the model, but is there a, you really want to be able to have that machine that where you can go train your own data with that. But you also have the horizontal side, like the data robots, and data IQs of the world where they're going to help you fill in the gaps. So I think there's going to be this balance. You said it yourself, start with the vertical approach if there is one, but then also got to be very careful and understand what they can do, what they can't, what they can and can't do. So we went into the vertical AI the question is, where does that make sense? It's like, my takeaway is if people are reinventing the wheel over and over again, that's where vertical AI will come in, right? And, and I think in places like healthcare, you've always had these standards, which is very helpful. Uh, in retail, it seems like it's an area that could be very helpful too, but we're in, they lack a lot of these standards. So that's something to be careful. Other areas like hedge funds, where they do crazy things, maybe a vertical AI right there won't work. So. Finally, we wrapped up with the, where are we today? AI today is mostly used for ads and this very existential question. What do you want to work on? on? I will work on how do I find more clicks or work on how am I gonna find out what's wrong with me and what can make me feel better? I think that was a beautiful way to go close this. And then this next generation is really hungry about making an impact, changing the world. And we need to have diverse people to be focused on these problems about fairness of data and otherwise is an existential threat. How did we do on our takeaways? anything else we missed man that was that was amazing I, that was you I didn't, realize, didn't. realize how diligent of
2: note takers you guys are or <laughs> else just like you had these incredible memories that uh, in, that was phenomenal and you know I know you guys have a lot of data junkies in the audience and folks who are interested in these types of technologies so you know we'd love to hear from them and if this is stuff that inspires you as well, uh, you know we're, we're growing quickly so we'd love to hear from you
1: Thank you to wrap up three questions back to you what's your advice about data? Our life, who should we invite next? And third, what are the resources that you follow? People, podcasts, conferences, whatever.
2: Yeah, so, oh gosh. Uh, you know, first question was, what's my what's, advice? What's your advice? Um, you know, I, like I said, I, I think what we're hearing from customers is that, that AI, you know, has become a board level conversation. And so, you know, if your boss isn't asking about this yet, they're going to be soon. And so, you know, my advice is don't miss the second internet. Um, and so start thinking about, like, how should this be applied uh, within your own organizations? Um, so uh, who should you invite next? Well, gosh, we're biased. You know, we love the we love the healthcare field. And, and again, you know, I'd love to see you guys kind of focusing on stuff that, that has a real big impact and meaning. Eric Topol uh, is an amazing speaker, um, you know, and, and wrote the book, uh, many books on the topic. Um, so, you know, I think Eric's an amazing potential guest for you guys. Um, and what resources, oh gosh, there's this week in AI, uh, you know, this week in machine learning, um, uh, is a great resource. Um, yeah. So, you know, uh, and then all of Eric Topol's stuff is just amazing. All of his books on healthcare AI specifically. So
1: Andrew, thank you so much for this fascinating discussion, a truly honest, no BS discussion and very inspirational. I'm leaving. Are you, are you out there working on AI? Are you helping to get more clicks? Are you helping to go save lives? Think about it. Cheers.
2: Thanks, guys. Cheers. Cheers. This
1: is Catalog and Cocktails. A special thanks to
2: Data.World for supporting the show, Carly Berghoff for producing, John Loyans and Brian
0: Jacob for the show music, and thank you to the entire Catalog and Cocktails fan base.